good week this weekend. I still have bruises from the ski trip. Uh, it took me an hour and a half to get down a three-minute ski ride mountain. And uh, I've got bruises all in places I didn't even know I could get bruises. And uh, I'm so glad that I was able to be there because Kelsey had such a wonderful time videoing me. I was a little upset about it. But uh, every time I looked up, Kelsey had a camera laughing. Heard about three other girls. And uh, so I, I, I couldn't ski well enough to ski over there to her to get the camera, Sister Gladys. But uh, we made it through it. We had a good, good time. And I enjoyed getting to spend time with them. And then uh, the Lord blessed me Saturday night at Brother Tommy's rodeo. Uh, I had to leave early. Uh, I, I was going for a guy, and 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 I know the Lord blessed me and honored me because I didn't want to miss that and be there in support of Brother Tommy and Sister Kissy, and and uh, I was riding on that. We we I told Brother Tommy I said, now look, if it's possible, I, I may be getting him in trouble uh, here if I saying this, but if it's possible, you if you could put me in the first round, I got to leave because I'm preaching in Jonesboro, and uh, I, I, so I, I roped the steer there and we left. We was going. They called me about 11:30 and said you won first place and I was just shouting I was going down through and I said Lord thank you God I'll tell you what he cares yeah I ain't seen the winnings but uh, it blessed somebody it blessed somebody but we had a wonderful wonderful time we've been having just a, a good time on Wednesday nights and last last Wednesday night we talked about apostolic identity and then we uh, the the uh, kind of the undertone of it was the the path to worldliness and uh we're going to I'm going to teach uh, tonight on some more things and uh, I want to pray I want to teach tonight on some on some words that we think are just nasty words and uh, they're scary words so don't leave don't fake an emergency and leave because I promise you I'm, I, it's going to be better than you think but my title tonight is legalism standards rules and other dirty words and I want to teach to you on that tonight. And uh, hopefully the Lord will, will help me. And I'm going to do it in a way that I feel like the Lord has, has helped me uh, to be able to do that. So if you could, bow your head and pray with me tonight. And let's, uh, let's get a hold of God. Lord, we love you tonight, God. We thank you. God, I ask you to minister in this place tonight, God. We want to please you first and foremost, God. We want to be holy like you, God. And Lord, uh, we are nothing but flesh, God. And we can't do this on our own, God. And so we need you Lord and God I'm asking you to anoint me tonight to speak your word God and to minister God in Jesus name we pray everybody shout amen you may be seated you can stay seated unless it's really good and then you can stand if you want to and clap your hands it's good to see brother Howard and sister Gladys I love and appreciate them they have been pillars in my life uh, I don't remember hardly a time going to church where I didn't know them and uh, sister Gladys and brother Howard were huge leaders and examples in this church and to me and I just want to say I love y'all and it's good to see you on this Wednesday night Jesus said unto his disciples Go into all the world, teaching all men to live any way they want, and urging each to find his or her own path to God. Let not anyone of you make someone feel inferior or victimized because of your beliefs. Above all, be tolerant. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you that what you believe and how you live do not matter so long as you are sincere. Is that what the word of the Lord says? For all of you that don't know the word of the Lord and you are amening me, you need to go read your Bible. Leaving that place, Jesus led his disciples to Jerusalem where they broke bread at Club Upper Room. There he addressed them again saying, I am one of the ways... I'm one of the truths and just one possible life. If you are basically a good person, you're okay in my book. And if you choose to come to the father or mother, if you prefer, through me, that's cool. Now go forth to live according to whatever feels good to you. And that was my blessing. Somebody say amen. Nobody said amen. Actually, Jesus was very exclusive. And he said something very different. The book of John chapter 10 verse 7 through 11. Jesus says this. He said that he is the truth. That he is the gate. And whoever enters through me will be saved. He said I am the good shepherd. And in John 14 and 6 he again Jesus says something different. He says I am the way. He didn't say I'm one of the ways. He said I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's basically saying there's only one way. And that is through me. Can I get a real amen for that? Jesus alone was born of a virgin conception. Jesus alone is God incarnate. Jesus alone lived the perfect sinless life. Jesus alone died a substitutionary death. And Jesus alone was resurrected from the dead as the victor over death and hell. The apostle Paul in no uncertain terms says in the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 9, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Over the years, uh, and I've heard my dad say it many times, and I've had people in the last decade uh, since God has, uh, I've been so privileged to be in his kingdom and uh, be a part of his kingdom and his ministry. Uh, we've had people over the years say, I would attend your church if there weren't so many rules. Has anybody ever said that? I remember growing up and people, uh, they would say that I love your, your, I love your church, but there's so many rules. And many have accused the church of being legalistic. And people have felt that the apostolic church was steeped in legalism because uh, we have expectations of those who lead in our congregation. Now let me tell you this. You can come to this church and be a murderer if you want to. You can be a member of this church. I don't know if you can be a murderer, but uh, you know you you know you can come. We'd probably be like, "Whoa, dude, don't kill another person." You're probably gonna get kicked out if you're stabbing people and you're coming to church. But you literally can come to this church and be whatever you want to be. I do this in uh, in when we talk to our leadership. I draw a triangle, and at the bottom of the triangle, I say literally, there is no requirement to be a part of this church. You can be a meth addict. As long as you don't sell meth inside the sanctuary, you can come to this church. You can be, you can do, you can be an alcoholic. 
and be a part of this church. But when you begin to decide that, hey, God's doing something in my life and you want to lead at a certain level, you want to lead at a certain degree, at a certain place, then there's certain sacrifices that you have to take. And over the years, I have heard literally the statement, this statement, you're legalistic because you have rules that those in leadership must follow. Before I point out what I believe are the errors in this particular assessment, let me first properly define legalism. Legalism is the notion that a mere human could attain a holy standing before God through his or her own righteousness, good works, or adhering to a set of laws or commandments. It stems from the Old Testament idea that a person could achieve righteousness or rightness in the sight of God by strictly adhering to the law. Of course, anyone who knows his or her Bible understands that if following the law made one righteous, then we would not have needed the New Testament, its cross, or its Christ. We need Jesus. None of us are good enough. Nobody here is good enough. The pastor here is not good enough. The associate pastor is not good enough. The student pastor is not good enough. The whole reason Jesus came was because no man could ever measure up. We are not good enough. So let's get that out of the way. That there is nothing that you can do that makes you worthy of salvation. That makes you worthy of a relationship with Jesus Christ. You and I are but flesh. And we are not good enough. Can I get a hand clap for that? Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Only Christ measures up. And our only hope of standing justified before a holy God is to trust in Christ's righteousness. Not our righteousness. Because it doesn't matter what I dress like and it doesn't matter how much money I give and it doesn't matter how many people I help. I am not good enough. Our own righteousness is not enough, not by a long shot. When we are born again of the water and of the Spirit, we put on Christ's righteousness. So don't ever get to a place where you think it's your righteousness, that it's your goodness, that it's your holiness, that it's your, that it's you that's causing you to be this good individual. We put on Christ's righteousness. We are made holy because of what He did, not because of what we have done. And so we are certainly not legalistic. We are certainly not legalistic. What's the song say? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So why do some fire off accusations of legalism like a shaky-handed gunslinger? First of all, and I'm teaching tonight, and I want you to stay with me, it's ignorance of the true meaning of legalism. Some have wrongly based or branded anyone who teaches holy living as being legalistic. And a lot of times they use the word standards. They use that word. Can I tell you tonight, 
I make no apologies for teaching biblical standards of conduct and lifestyle, which I believe should be embraced by everyone who calls themselves a child of God. But can I tell you, that teaching is not legalism. I don't for a moment think that those standards that we call it, and I'm just going to, I'm calling out the elephant in the room because that is literally why some people, they come to the church and they feel God. They feel the presence of God. People in this community, they feel it. They know that something's different. But the reason that they don't come, they say, is because they do not want to hold that type of standard. I don't for a moment, let me break this, for a moment think that any standard that I carry or my family carries are what make me holy. If I could be holy by what I do or don't do, then the cross was for naught. It was for naught. If I'm a good enough person, Brother Tommy, that what the way I dress, the way I talk, the way I speak, the way I think is what makes me holy, then why in the world did Jesus carry a tree up Calvary Hill and lay on a cross and nails be put through my... None of us are good enough. You're not holy enough. You're not righteous enough. I'm not pure enough to make me holy. Only Christ's righteousness can make me holy. Only, only being born again of the water and of the Spirit can make me holy. Now, I do my best to live a godly and holy lifestyle. Here's why. As a reflection of my salvation, not to earn it. Christ has already earned it. I've already, I've been born again of the water and of the spirit. I live it as a reflection of my salvation. I strive to adhere to Bible standards of conduct, not to be saved, but because I am saved. I'm saved. And so I live this way. I live the way I do because my priority is pleasing God, not this world. That's my priority. As a matter of fact, especially where this world's headed, I want to be so far away from where this world stands because I want to let the world know that I'm trying to please God and not trying to fit in this society and trying to fit in with Hollywood and trying to fit in with where this world is headed. I follow after a holy lifestyle because what God's word teaches about Christian living is for my own protection and my own benefit. Not to mention that it's confusing to anyone looking for my guidance and spiritual direction. If I claim that there's been a change on the inside when there's no change in my actions on the outside. People say, well, God looks at my heart. You're right. He does look at, at your heart. But can I ask you, what does your family look at? Because can I tell you, Brantley can't see my heart. And Remy does not know my thoughts. And Lexi has no idea what my intentions are. You see what I'm saying? It matters what happens on the outside. Because it's confusing to the world. Once I say something's happened to me on the inside, but nothing has changed on the outside. What if I had a beer bottle here tonight? And I wish I, I was wanting to bring me one. And I wanted to bring it. And I was going to set it here. And just randomly, I was going to pick up the beer bottle. And I was going to drink the, the beer bottle. I was going to pop it open. I was going to drink. 
without you knowing that I would have flushed out the alcohol, cleaned it out, and put clean, pure water. And I was going to look at you, and I'm going to say, what, what are you upset about? The inside's all that matters, right? Because that's the way we see our temple. God only sees my heart. You're right. God does look at your heart. But what does this world look at? What can they see? How, what are we doing when we are drinking alcohol to the sinner or to the daughter or to the son? When they look and they say, well, mom's a Christian. How confusing to this generation. What, what does it say to the young man that's already struggling with some areas with his sexuality when the church says you come as you, you don't have to change when the Bible clearly says other things. This is not legalism. I remind myself daily that I'm saved by grace. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. But I also remind myself of the rest of that passage from Paul to Titus. What does grace teach? You see, we just stop at verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. It's all about the grace. But can I ask you, what does grace teach. The Bible goes on to say in verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. When you are saved, things change on the outside. They change. They, they, they just do. I'm not going to get in, into any specifics or any particulars yet, but I want you to know it changes the outside. And you have to be careful when, when you are so bound by this world, when you are looking at what you have worldly lust, you have to be careful because it is giving your community, your neighborhood, your families a, a different message than what you even realize. If we equate standards of Christian lifestyle with legalism, we need to throw out most of all the epistles. We gotta throw them out if we're gonna talk about the Bible. If we equate standards of Christian lifestyle with legalism, we need to throw out all of the, of, of the epistles, at least most of them. The majority of the writings of the apostles to the church deal with how Christians should live their lives once they are saved. Would you call Paul a legalist? No. We wouldn't call Paul a legalist. We wouldn't do that. You're talking about man, a man that we pull most religions and most denominations, I would say, pull most of their doctrine from this man. He wrote over half of the New Testament. Would you call him a legalist? No. How could I? He of all men understood the failure of the Old Testament to make men righteous. Yet, Paul taught standards. He taught standards of Christian lifestyles that ran from modesty in attire to appropriate conversation to sexual purity. So anyone who believes those who teach biblical standards of lifestyle and conduct are legalists simply don't understand the scripture or what legalism means. I'm teaching you tonight. I hope I'm not boring you, but I want you to see what I'm saying. If we're not careful, some churches have messed it up for everybody because they have allowed a self-righteous spirit to come in you see what I'm saying 
And because of this, this, this culture of self-righteousness, it has turned everyone against Christian living and a, a standard, a bar that was self, uh, set. Unfortunately, the approach of some who teach standards of Christian living has produced a culture in some circles of self-righteousness. Again, self-righteousness goes against the very essence of the New Testament. Such ugly attitudes should have no place in the body of Christ. Can I get an amen for that? It has no place for it. Regardless of what I embrace as my Christian lifestyle, I should never look down my nose at others for no reason ever or think that I'm more righteous or holy than they simply because I do this or I don't do that. That as well as having no standard is also confusing to the sinner. Because how can I tell the sinner about God's grace and mercy? If I never give it. And how can I preach about brotherly kindness, meekness, humility. If I never example it. I told Brother Tommy. Several months ago we was eating at Shakers. I don't know if you remember this. But I mentioned to him. I said. I said we're all on different journeys. Different parts of our journey. We're all on the same journey. Some of us take different routes to get to Jesus. But we're headed to one destination. Can I get a witness with that? We're headed to one destination. But what if we're not careful is what we do as Christians is I'll start holding somebody to the same standard when I'm, that I do myself when I'm way down here on my journey. And they're way back there on their journey. And so what I start doing, if I get backslid or I get cold, a spirit of gossip, a spirit of self-righteousness, a spirit of, 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 of backbiting and bitterness, it all comes, it's, it, 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 I'm telling you, it roots from self-righteousness. And what, if we're not careful, we will start judging people and, and, and talking about people and trying to hold them to the same standard that I hold myself when they haven't been in the teaching that I have had for 10 years and they didn't live in the home that I lived in all my life and so we as a church if we ever grow we cannot create a culture of self-righteousness now we've got to live holy and we've got to example it and I want to line my family up and I want to say hey this is how we example apostolic identity if you want to know what I believe, you can look look at my wife. If you want to know where I want my kids to go and where I don't want them to go, you can look at my children because I'm going to tell them what I feel is wrong and what I think is wrong. And so that's what we need to do. We don't need to be self-righteous. We need to set an example of love, of, of kindness, of meekness, of humility and that we live a, a Christian lifestyle when everyone else is going to this particular place. We say no. That's not where I'm headed. But we don't say, I can't believe that so-and-so is going down there. And we don't call up our buddy in the church and say, can you, but let me just tell you what I heard. That's self-righteousness. And it's just as confusing to the, to the world, to the outside world, as the person that has no Christian living and no standard that they hold themselves. It's just as confusing because you'll bring them to church and I will preach or pastor will preach or the evangelist will preach love and kindness and they're sitting there thinking, well, that's not what the person that brought me here does. It's confusing. It is confusing. 
Such an attitude is not acceptable with true Christianity. We are all on different parts of our journey. That's why I try to never condemn anyone. And I try to teach my kids not to either. When Brantley comes and his heart's broken or, or Remy's comes and their heart's broken, they'll say, so-and-so's doing this, Dad. I'll say, you just need to pray for them. And you don't say, well, I'll tell you what, you ain't going around them no more and you ain't doing this and don't do it. You look at them with love and say, you don't talk about them. You love them and you pray for them. Because that's how you grow a church. That's how we grow the kingdom of God. That's how, because we're going to have leaders who's going to have enough, enough ability to withstand the winds of this world that says, I don't care where society's headed. I'm going to live a certain way. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to have enough, enough foundation that's set under me that I'm going to be planted. And I don't care what this church is doing and what that church is doing. I'm going to be apostolic from the top of my head. To the sole of my feet. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to pray for God. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to show up to, I'm going to show up to church. We need examples. And when everybody else leaves and everyone else is falling around us, we don't need leaders that are self-righteous and look down and snarl their nose. We need leaders that'll say, you know what? You're not going to influence me, baby. I want to hug you and I want to love you and I want to spend time with you and I want to let you know that what you're going and the road that you're headed on, that's not going to affect me. But let me tell you, this is why I'm going to live and I'm going to love you whether you want to do it or not. It's a, it's create, I'll tell you what we're trying to do in this church. We're trying to create a culture where people's lives can be changed. Where they come to this altar and they're inside. They're inside and something happens and emotions they don't even know. They don't understand all of it, but they know God did something for them and they're surrounded by mature Christians who know how to handle themselves. Know how to handle themselves. We sure don't have time to worry about everyone else's journey to their spiritual maturity. I don't care how long we've been in this thing. We all have some work we need to do. We all have work. There's never a place, Brother Danny, that we get to, that pastor gets to, that you get to, that any of us get to, where we stop striving for perfection. Let me tell you, can I give you, can I blow your mind? You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to get so deep in the Holy Ghost that you don't have to come to church. You're never going to get so so wise in the Scripture that you never have to open up the Bible. You're never going to get so so engrossed in prayer that you never have to kneel down. There's not one prayer meeting that says you don't have to pray for the next six months. I don't care how deep you go. If you're in the third heaven or if you don't even leave ground, you still got to pray tomorrow. You still got to pray tomorrow. You still got to pray tomorrow. The accusation of being legalistic was leveled because we have rules for those in leadership. Because remember, you can come to this church and you can, you, you, I'm telling you, we're gonna, we're gonna preach and we're gonna example and we hope that there's a change on the outside and we're gonna believe that there's gonna be a change on the outside and we're gonna believe you put down alcohol and we're gonna believe that you put down nicotine and we're gonna believe that you stop selling drugs and those things. But if it never happens, guess what? We're not giving up on you. We're not giving up on you because we believe that it could happen next Sunday. We believe that it could happen tomorrow. We believe that this year could be your year. We believe that. Yeah. 
We believe that. But saying that, when that day does come, and you say, I want to be a leader in this church because everybody should be striving for that. When that day comes, that something happens inside you, and there's a fire that gets in you, and you say, I want to do more. You just remember this. This is serious business. It's serious business. And we have expectations of those who are in our leadership. And if having expectations of those who are in leadership is legalistic, then all the apostles were legalists. They were all legalists. They pulled no punches when it came to setting the bar high for those who desired to lead in the local congregation. You just look at the long list of qualifications of bishops and deacons set forth by Paul. Is there anybody that could put 1 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3 on there? Because we're going to see. If, if not, it's okay. But if there is, I want you to find 1 Timothy chapter 3 if you have your Bibles, because I'm teaching tonight. I want you to open up, and we're going to see. You tell me if having rules and expectations of leaders is being a legalist, then you have to call Paul a legalist. You have to. You, you absolutely have to. Because here's what Paul said. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Keep going. A bishop then must be blameless. Whoa. That's a rule. For, I mean, for, as soon as we get in it. He said, if you're going to be a bishop, if you're going to hold that office in this particular congregation, you've got to be blameless. Then he goes further than that. He says, you've got to be the husband of one wife. Vigilant, sober, of good behavior. Man, uh, I don't even know. There's been times where I wouldn't even have lined up. Because there's been times where I didn't have good behavior. Given to hospitality. Out to teach. Not given to wine. No striker. Not greedy of filthy lucre. But patient. Man, that would have knocked me out right there. Not a brawler. You said you can't be, you're going to lead. But Tommy he said you can't be a brawler. You, you just, you can't be a brawler. He said you can't be covetous. Keep on going. One that ruleth well. This is going to, this is tough because I know, and I'm, let me tell you something. It, 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 I want you, to, I want you to see what he's saying. He said, ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Keep on going. For with if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Keep going. This is for an overseer. Not a novice. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall in the condemnation of the devil. He said, you can't be a rookie. You can't do it. He said, you can't so glamour, starstruck, and pride get a hold of you. And then you fall in the condemnation of the devil. He said, you can't do that. You can't look at the office and just be like, oh, look how much power I got. You got you to you make sure that you hold yourself accountable. Keep going. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Keep going. Likewise, we must, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued. Somebody will tell me what double-tongued means? I would say, I would say two-faced. I would say he says one thing and then says another thing over here. He's turning. Let me tell you something. If you're a leader, you you can't do it. 
That's, that, 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 that is, you're unstable in all your ways. You're blown by every wind of doctrine. You can't be double tongued. And I will go even further than that. You can't lead people and be nice to their face and ugly behind their back. You can't do it. Good luck. Lead your department will be three people. You, your wife, and your kid. Because ain't nobody following that. And Paul knew that. He was smart enough to know that. He's not going to let you do that. You have to do I hope somebody's getting something out of this teaching. So if you're a leader here tonight, let me talk to the choir here tonight. Let me talk to the teachers here tonight. Let me talk to the worship leaders here tonight. If you're a leader, you can't be double-tongued. You can't do it. You have got it. Let's go. Not given to much wine. Go back a little bit. Not greedy of filthy lucre. Keep on going. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Keep on going. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. I'm going to quit right there because I could keep going. But can I tell you, it's only common sense that if a person is going to be a spiritual leader, we expect them to be spiritually minded, godly people. I tell you what, we care more uh, in this day. We care more about our basketball coach than we do our spiritual leaders. We do. There ain't no way we're letting our kids be on a basketball team. We'd have such a fit. Like that guy ain't even ever played basketball. He don't. Even, he don't know basketball. And yet we'll go to a church or we'll sit here. We'll, we'll we'll listen to advice from somebody who's so carnal. He has nothing that lines up to the book, to the book. He has nothing that lines up with the Bible. And yet we'll listen to him. We'll listen to Joe on the line who ain't been to church in 50 years and we'll let him be our bishop. That's what we're doing because he's speaking into our life. He's feeding our soul. He's out to teach at 1130. Well, we're snapping sofas and building elevators and, and we're, we're whatever. He's ready to teach us. He's feeding into our spirit and he's our pastor. It's common sense. It's common sense that we have standards and expectations. Because if we're going to change the world that we're living in, you know why we're in the world that we're living in? Because used to, every church had a standard. They had a high bar. The Methodist church had a standard. The Baptist church had a standard. The Pentecostal church had a standard. The Catholic church had a standard. Everybody had a standard at some point. And along the way, they started kicking down standards, kicking down boundaries, kicking down fences. And now we're living in 2017 and a man don't know what bathroom he's supposed to be in. And he don't know whether he's a woman or a lady. And all because somebody had no expectation in the house of God. How will leaders testify to others of the transforming power of Jesus Christ if there are not signs of such spiritual transformation in their own lives? Can I tell you, I will not apologize for having clear expectations of those who lead our congregation into the presence of the Word of God. This is serious business. It's serious business. There is nothing more sacred and holy than the Spirit of God and the Word of God. You ask our leaders. Ask them. The other day, I was pretty passionate, wasn't I, Dylan? I was pretty passionate because it matters to me who's leading us. It matters to me who I'm letting be a voice in your life. 
It matters to me. It matters to the growth of this church. It matters to the future of this church. You know why it matters to me more than it did when I was 17, when I was 15? Because now I'm married. And now I have three beautiful children. And I understand whatever voice that I give influence into this congregation is whatever voice will be here 30 years from now, 40 years from now. And that's the voice that's going to be leading Brantley. It's the voice that's going to be leading Remy. It's the voice that's going to be leading Lexi. And I don't want somebody who's not holy and who's not righteous and who doesn't tithe and who's not faithful and who doesn't pray and who doesn't know how to fast. i got to have somebody that's leading this church that has some, some sacrifice in their life that set the bar high. Yeah, yeah. My dad taught me a long time ago. And let me tell you, I ain't getting into anything, but like, and you can go, you can do whatever you want to do. But there's some things that my dad would do that I used to say, Dad, why in the world did you do that? I, mean, I, I, I don't want to do that. That's crazy. Why can't we go here? You ever, any of your parents ever heard that? And I try. And I was a pretty smart kid. I really was. And I'd start playing out stuff, justifying why that's the craziest bunch of junk ever. My dad told me. He said, "Look, Corey. He said, if I draw the line here for you, he said, I know you. He said your line's gonna be over here. He said, and if I draw the line here, your line's gonna be over here. He said, and if I draw the line here." You're like, he said, so I just made up in my mind. He said, I'm going to draw the line right here. That way I don't have to worry about anything. Whether it's a heaven or hell issue, whether it's this or that, whether you want to argue about this. He said, if we get to heaven and they say, hey, you didn't have to do all that. That's all right. We still made it. But what if we get to heaven and God said, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. And we look back and we say, oh God, I didn't know. I didn't read my word. I didn't read my Bible. I didn't have any teaching. And God, forgive me. I don't want to get up there. I'd rather get up there and be, uh, be, be done too much. Still make it through those gates. So what's wrong with rules? What's wrong with standards? What's wrong with setting the bar high? What is it? If you're going to lead in this church, what's wrong with, with putting that line right there? Let me tell you this. I'm picking on poor Dylan tonight. But Dylan loves college football. And he knows college football. And if ESPN called him tomorrow, and they said, look, you got a job. They said, but here's the requirements. They start laying out requirements. You can't go here. You can't stay here. You can't do this. You're representing ESPN now. You can't do this. When you're on TV, you got to have a tie on. you got to represent that. You're representing the coming ESPN. Do you think he's going to be like, why? No. No, Dylan ain't saying Why? He's not saying why. You know what Dylan's going to say? Dylan's going to say, oh, I'll do whatever you want me to do. When's the next flight out? He said, I'm leaving Tuesday. Pack the bags. Because this is, this is ESPN. It's, a, it's, a, it's the job of a lifetime. Why in the world would we not say, hey, Jesus, if I'm representing you, I'll be whatever you want me to be. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Because I am leading a church to the most important thing that this world has ever had Oh, I wish somebody would stand to their feet right now and say, God, help me. God, help me. I want to lead my kids. I want to lead my families. I want to set the bar high.
I want to set the bar high. You may be seated. I'm hurrying. I promise. I preached too long last Wednesday night, and I'm going to try to do better tonight. Those who lead the congregation in these areas must be committed to godly living, purity, spirituality, and dedication. I don't want you talking certain ways if you're behind this pulpit. I don't want them saying, well, man, I don't want them to tell you what sinners and people in this world, they know. They know what Christians are supposed to do. Now, they don't do it. But boy, they'll hold you to the standard. Why? Because you call yourself a certain thing. And so if you're standing on this stage or you say you're from this church, I would make sure that when I walked in there, when I walked into Walmart, I had a good attitude. When I walked out of Walmart, I had a good attitude. When I walked in to our community festivals and all those things, I would make first and foremost, no, God, I'm not going to embarrass you today. I'm going to lead somebody. I'm going to be an example to you. The irony of such unfounded accusations is that those making them have rules in their own congregations for their leaders. I would imagine that even the most liberal church would find it unacceptable. I don't want to put any images in your mind. If their worship leader came onto the platform on Sunday in a string bikini, you think anybody's going to let that happen? Lord have mercy. Guess what? They have rules too. They have standards too. I would imagine that, or I would at least hope, that even the most liberal church, a man wouldn't be permitted to feed the flock of God on Sunday if he was sleeping around with a different woman every night in the community. So are they legalists? Is that legalism? They have standards too. Because you can say, I draw the line here, but there's somewhere that you're going to draw the line too. So we can't sit back and call this particular group this and that particular group. We all have rules. And we all have boundaries that we say, well, that's just a little too far. I just happen to set my bar really, really high because that's how important that I think the future is of the church of the living God. And I want to make sure that by the time it's 20 years from now, we had not lost everything. If you answer no to those, we wouldn't allow that in our church, then you too have rules. You wouldn't even allow that in your home. You tell your husband, good gracious, you get some clothes on. You got standards. You got rules. And if having any rules make you a legalist, then every church is legalistic. Everyone draws a line somewhere. And that in itself isn't legalism. Usually someone cries legalism when there is a difference in where you draw the line. We all have expectations and rules for those in leadership. What we expect of leaders in our congregation may be more conservative than your expectation. But the truth is we all have them. And that doesn't make us legalistic. That doesn't make us legalistic. And then you got judgmentalism. What usually follows the legalism, the accusation is a reference to being judgmental. That's what they say. Well, y'all are judgmental. Y'all 
are judgmental. But again, the inconsistencies of those making such claims are obvious. Why is expecting a leader to dress modestly judgmental, but expecting a leader to refrain from adultery not judgmental? The truth is we all have a standard. We just may differ in how low or how high we set the bar. But setting a bar in itself is not being judgmental or not being legalistic. Of course, it's imperative that where we set that bar be based upon eternal biblical principles. What we expect of those in leadership in our church and what we teach in our church about Christian lifestyle is based on explicit biblical commands or common sense application of biblical principles. There may be differences of opinion from church to church on how to rightly apply biblical principles to present day life. But just because I may define modesty in a more conservative way than you does not make me legalists any more than your liberal definition of modesty makes you a legalist. I'm hurrying, I promise. If preaching standards is legalism, then we're all legalists. Because we all have standards varying from some degree. So I tell you here tonight, holy living, standards, and expectation for leaders, they are not bad words. They're not bad words. Establishing Bible standards of living for those in leadership and teaching biblical concepts of holy living to a congregation like tonight is not legalism. Nor does it mean a church or a pastor is judgmental or intolerant. It likely means that you're at a church where there's a pastor who is doing their dead level best to lead that congregation into a lifestyle that's pleasing to God Almighty and one that stands as a testimony to a lost and dying world of God's power to make us new creatures in Christ. So the next time somebody says that you're going to a legalist church, say, no, 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 no. no. I just go to a church where there's leaders who says, I'm going to set the bar high so that someone will know of the power of the transformation of God's presence and God's Spirit. Can we stand our feet tonight? I told you I was going to shorten it. You can begin to play softly. And I know this was teaching tonight, but I do want a moment to where we can come to the altar and we can pray and we can get a hold of God for just a moment and I'll let you go after that. But let me tell you, can I tell you that God is calling this church to a higher place? He's calling this church. Brother Buddy's calling us to a higher place. He didn't come and say, you can live like a Harry. He said, you're representing me. You are my son. You are my daughter. He said, don't let your evil, I mean, let your good be evil spoken of. Don't let your good be evil spoken of. He said, hold yourself to a higher standard. Be a light in this world. This dark world, this gloomy world. Let them know that you're a peculiar people. That you're separated. That you're a, a royal generation. A royal priesthood. A chosen generation. He said, let them know. Let them know. And the only way they're going to see is by the fruit that you bear. The fruit that you bear. 
Don't be the fig tree. I'm going to open these altars tonight. And God wants to minister to somebody. These altars are open. Is there anybody in this place that wants to do more for God? That wants to live for God? God, I want to be a leader. I want to be a leader. Oh, I want to be an example. I want to be an example for you, God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And I surrender.